Well, as we think about uh, Christmas, we, we tend to oftentimes think about light and uh, darkness and how light came into the darkness. And certainly if you've ever been in a dark place, you know the value of light, don't you? So like we all have our little torches on the back of our phones and that's not very significant in here, is it? Because this room is full of light. Now we could go stronger uh, with something like this and that's pretty impressive, but, but still in a room like this that's already full of light, it's not, it doesn't make that much of a difference, does it? But what if we were a thousand feet underground in a pitch black cave where you couldn't even see your, your hand in front of your face, right? Any amount of light in that kind of environment is a fantastic thing, isn't it? And this is what Christmas is. When we think about Christmas, we think about this invasion of light into darkness. That's what it is. That's what it was. And we need that, don't we? Uh, we need light to invade our darkness. We, we don't have to look far, do we, to see around us that there is darkness everywhere. We read headlines in the newspapers. We see things on the news that tell us how dark things are around us. And listen, if we're really honest, we recognize that there's darkness within us as well, isn't there? There are things inside of us that we don't like. There are things inside of us that, that, uh, that, that are not good, right? And so even the darkness inside of us, we recognize that we need light to come in and to invade that darkness. We need the light that came at Christmas. And again, as we think about light and we think about our, our Advent uh, wreath and the candles that are there, it reminds us that that's what took place at Christmas. And so we need that reminder. And this is why we take time to celebrate uh, Christmas in a, in a special way where we think about the coming of the light into the world. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. And that's what Advent is all about. It's about light. And so this morning, just briefly, I want us to reflect upon the light of Christmas, Jesus, the light of the world, in the hopes that that light might wash over us and somehow invade that darkness and encourage our hearts. As we think about the light of the world, uh, we think about the fact that the light of the world came at just the right time. It came at just the right time. Now, Chris talked to us a few weeks ago about this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent His Son. So the light of the world came at just the right time. Just the right time in the light of God's eternal plan to establish his kingdom through the rescuing of a fallen people. This is the fullness of the times, as Paul says in Galatians, at just the right time. Now we could think about the fulfillment of prophecy. We, there are about 60 major uh, messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that give rise to about 270 details about what the Messiah was going to be like, that were going to be fulfilled in one person. 
ultimately in Jesus. And so we see as we look through the Old Testament, it's a funnel, right? In Genesis chapter 3, we see the prophecy that the seed of the woman is going to come. And then we see in Genesis chapter 9 and 10 that he's going to be the son of Shem. He's going to be a Semite. Uh, In Genesis 12, he's going to come from Abraham. In Genesis 17, he's going to come through Isaac. Uh, And then Jacob, and then Judah, then down to Jesse, and then David. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he's going to be born of a virgin. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, God is going to eliminate all the other towns of the world and say that his Messiah is going to come into this tiny little town called Bethlehem. And others in the Old Testament noted that he was going to come when the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. And so the funnel of time, the funnel of prophecy, it comes to a point ultimately in this dirty little stable in Bethlehem as the promised Messiah, Jesus, was born at just the right time, just when he was needed the most. He was born at just the right time in the light of history. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, he, he says, how do, you, how do you tell the story of a universal Savior in a post-Babel world uh, with a myriad of different languages. Well, you have a guy named Alexander in the 4th century BC conquer most of the known world and introduce a common language, Koine Greek, into the, the, the region, the known world. How do you spread a universal message amidst such a, an ancient and archaic infrastructure? Well, you allow an empire to rise up in Rome that builds paved roads, almost, you know, motorways uh, and trade networks all over the known world. How do you disseminate such a cross-cultural and counter-cultural message? Will you allow this same empire to achieve a, a, a kind of peace, the Pax Romana, where a myriad of different beliefs were allowed and a diversity was celebrated. All these things happened at just the right time in history in accordance with God's plan. C.S. Lewis said, the whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point, small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. The light of the world came at just the right time. And the light of the world came as an ordinary human to ordinary humans. He invaded our space and he humbled himself by identifying himself with us. The Apostle Paul again in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about Jesus. He says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. As Augustine said, the heavens cannot contain him. The heavens cannot contain his deity, and yet a woman carried him in her bosom. 
I mean, it would have been humiliating enough for Christ, the eternal Son, to come to earth as a powerful earthly king. And yet he didn't do that. It would have been humiliating enough for him to come and identify with elite humanity. But he doesn't do that. He came to the world where the ordinary live. He came to the world where the the marginalized live. He came to our world. As Isaiah says in chapter 53, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He made himself known to a humble teenager and a lowly carpenter. His birth wasn't heralded among heads of state uh, or influential people. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't noted in the Irish Times. Uh, he wasn't born in the Galway Clinic or in some five-star resort, but in a smelly animal stable. His birth was attended by lowly shepherds and later by pagan Gentile astrologers. As Philip Yancey said, God's visit to earth took place in an animal shelter with no attendants present and nowhere to lay the newborn king but a feed trough. Indeed, the event that divided history and even our calendars into two parts may have had more animal than human witnesses. A mule could have stepped on him. Imagine the light of the world, the king of the universe, came as an ordinary human to ordinary humans. See, everything about Christmas screams out love to the little guy, to the poor, to the marginalized, to the economically challenged. The very ones that the world rejects are the very ones that God, when he took on flesh, identified himself most closely with. The light of the world has come as an ordinary person to ordinary people like you and me. And the light of the world came to forever spell the power of darkness. To forever remove its power from us. Listen to what John says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then down in verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And then in verse 14, John identifies who that light was. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, this is the great mystery of Christmas, that undiminished deity, perfect deity, put on total humanity. He emptied himself by taking on a human nature. So in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, God takes up residence among us, the one who uh, created light, 
became light for us. Again, Philip Yancey, the God who created matter took shape within it. As an artist might become a a spot on a painting or a playwright, a character within his own play, God wrote a story only using real characters on the pages of real history. The Word became flesh. And He did this in order to forever destroy the hold of darkness on humanity. So the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, is the first step on this journey to Calvary, to the cross. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. If you're in a dark place and you turn on a light or you you strike a match, the darkness has to flee, doesn't it? And this is what happened when the light of the world came into the world. God's love is illuminated for us at Christmas in the arrival of Jesus. And so, Our goal, our hope, our our joy is to bask in that love, in that light, as we remember it at Christmas. Barbara Taylor said, let us revel in the light of that star beneath which the ordinary becomes holy and the holy ordinary. Beneath which it becomes exceedingly clear that there is nothing more we must do or be to be loved by God. God has done everything. He has come, he has died in order that we might simply look to Christ and have life and life eternal. And so in that light that we consider at Christmas, there is peace, there is peace available if we will look to Jesus. In that light there is hope for our fragile hearts, right? We're easily discouraged, aren't we? But in the light of the world, the light of Christ that came at Christmas, there is hope for us. We can be confident that the darkness will have an end. And in that light, there is joy. For our often discouraged spirits, there is joy as we consider that in Christ, God has done everything necessary to give us life and life eternal. The winter is over, right? Remember your Narnia. Uh, It was uh, always winter, but never Christmas. And in Christ, in the light that has come, uh, winter is over and Christmas has come. And joy of all joys, this is the great hope of the believer. If he's come once, he will come again. In fact, the true purpose of Advent, as we've talked about, is to remind us of his second coming by causing us to reflect on his first coming. The light of the world came at just the right time. He came to offer hope to ordinary people like you and me. And he came to forever spell the darkness. And listen, no one is beyond the reach of his light. 
If we went around the room today and we shared our deepest, darkest sins, we could take great comfort in the fact that there is no sin that anyone could say that Christ has not paid for on the cross. The light of the world is for everyone. And all we are to do is to look to him in faith and place our trust in him and we can have life. So listen, we want to continually bask in the light that has come, the light of God's love that has become visible to us in Christ. For that is our peace and that is our hope and that is our joy. I heard a story of a man who was uh, in his sitting room there warming himself by the fire. It was a dark winter, cold winter's night. And he started to hear this thumping sound. Boom, boom, boom on the windows. And he looked up and there, was, uh, there were a few sparrow that were trying to fly into his house, seeing the, the fire, they, they were attracted to the light and were coming, but were hitting the, the window. Uh, and he was touched and he wanted to help these sparrow find a place of, of warmth. And so he bundled up, he put his coat on and he, he went out to his uh, barn and he made uh, a special bed for the sparrow with his, you know, with some straw and different things like that. But the sparrow, he discovered, uh, were frightened and wouldn't come in. And so as much as he tried to encourage the birds to the, to the birds, he was this, you know, he was this giant ogre, you know, that was going to hurt them. And they didn't, they didn't want to, to, to come in, even though what he was doing was for their good. And so he went back to his house. He was a bit discouraged that he couldn't help these birds find the warmth that they needed. And he thought to himself, if only I could become a bird for just a moment. If I could become a bird for just a moment, I could lead these birds to the warmth of the barn where they might find rest. And as he thought about that, he thought, isn't that what God has done? And taking on flesh, hasn't he come to lead us back to life? This is what we remember at Christmas. The light of the world has come at just the right time. He came to ordinary people as an ordinary human. And he came to forever dispel the power of darkness. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, as we pause briefly to think about the light of the world that's come, we are encouraged We thank you, Father, that you, again, that you did not leave us uh, on our own, Father. You didn't abandon us because of our sin, but Father, you came. Uh, You sent Jesus, Father, to come to save us from our sin. And we pray, Father, that as we go through today and through the rest of this week, that we might remember, and Father, that we might rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.